This episode is sponsored by TrueLearn, an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. TrueLearn is the only company I trusted for Comlex Level 1 prep last year and Level 2 prep this year. Each TrueLearn practice question has detailed answer explanations and concise bottom lines for customizable studying. TrueLearn also has amazing USMLE smart banks, as well as subscriptions for shelf or comat exams. Go to TrueLearn.com and use one of my special discount codes I have for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. TrueLearn is the first line solution for excelling on exams. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and this is First Line. Here to bring listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness. Through an osteopathic lens, First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, hot topics in healthcare, the journey to becoming a physician, mental health, relationships, and even philosophy, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Hello again. Thanks for listening. I am recording just after finishing my OBGYN rotation, which is the last rotation of third year of medical school. Third year is basically done. The only thing I really have left is capstone, which is a two-week course. The purpose is just to prepare students for fourth year of med school, our last year, when residency applications start, as well as audition rotations, which means doing rotations at different hospitals and institutions that we want to apply to for residency, just to be able to be familiar with the program and then the program is familiar with you and it really helps get your foot in the door for getting an interview and then being ranked at certain programs that you may want to be competitive for. So these next two weeks is basically preparation for that. We're doing a lot of work on our personal statements, our resumes and CVs, as well as doing mock interviews. I actually have a mock interview just in a few hours from now. So there won't really be an episode about Capstone like I've been doing episodes about each of my rotations because Capstone is so specific to my school probably isn't too interesting to you. However, there will soon be an episode about writing CVs and personal statements, especially for residency applications. But first, I have to figure out how to navigate those tasks myself first before I can actually share more information and tips on it. I want to see what actually works and be able to speak from experience based off of what I've learned from that. So that will be upcoming, but no time terribly soon for that. So moving back to OBGYN, this first clip will be from a recording I did during the first week of the rotation, and we'll start with that first. Hello everyone, I'm recording on Tuesday, March 29th, which is the second day of my OBGYN rotation. And this is my last rotation in third year of medical school, so the last one of the core rotations. 
So thus far, I have completed psychiatry, family medicine, underserved medicine, acute care medicine, OMM, internal medicine times two, pediatrics, surgery, and now OBGYN. So OBGYN, if you don't know, that means obstetrics and gynecology, also known as women's health. And this rotation is interesting because my schedule each day is different. It's a four-week-long rotation, and I've just started, but I can share with you what it looks like. So yesterday was my first day, and it was spent in the operating room in the OR with one of the OBGYNs, and a lot of people don't realize that OBGYN is a surgical subspecialty, essentially. And it's also a primary care specialty because for many women of reproductive age especially, their primary care physician is an OBGYN. So then tomorrow I'm going to be in the office, which is an outpatient office that sees women coming in for for prenatal visits, for follow-ups, for acute complaints, even for mammograms, because they do mammograms in the office as well, um, or ultrasound too. And of course, I'll probably see a lot of pap smears and pelvic exams too. And other things coming up on my schedule is night calls, which basically means that I work from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., And I have several of those in a row, which will be a brand new experience for me because thus far I have had normally a 9 to 5 or an 8 to 5 schedule for a lot of my rotations. And then in surgery, sometimes I had 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., which was new to me at the time. Now I have something even more new and it's on opposite hours of the day. So that will be an interesting experience. I also have day call as well, which means that I would be on call from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And for both types of call, that is usually when students are able to see and participate in labor and deliveries, which I'm really excited to be a part of. Then also during this month, I'll have a half day working with the gynecological oncology team, which means that they deal with patients with breast cancer, ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, things like that. So that's basically what my month's going to look like. It's going to be every day something different, but I'm excited for it. I'll get to see a lot of new experiences and see what labor and delivery is like. And yesterday on my first day in the OR, I saw two hysterectomies, then one DNC, which stands for dilatation and curatage, which was done after a missed abortion. And then one of the hysterectomies was done for endometrial cancer, and the other one was done for uh, symptomatic fibroids. So it was interesting to sit on those. If you've listened to my previous episode about my surgery rotation, you'll know that I definitely like to be in the office more than I do in the operating room or the OR. But it was something a little bit different. It was enjoyable to have a day doing that. 
And the ones that I saw were also used robot technology called the Da Vinci device, which is a device used for robotic assisted surgery. So it really just involves setting up these arms of a robot and then operating it from across the room using different controls. So it almost looks like a video game. It's really cool to see. And then it's all broadcasted on screens. So even if you're not operating the robot, you can still see what it is doing. And it's a really cool technology that adds an additional precision to things like hysterectomies. And I've also seen it done for hernia repairs as well for my surgery rotation. So that has just been my first impression of the rotation so far. I'm going to record again later on in the rotation to hopefully speak a little bit more on what kinds of experiences I have seen. Okay, now I am recording back from being done all four weeks of the rotation. I have really learned a lot. I had two full days in the operating room doing surgeries. I've had five night calls, so five shifts from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., and then three day calls, so three shifts from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. I've had three full days in the office seeing prenatal appointments, annual women's exams, pelvic exams, problem visits. I've had one morning spending time with the non-stress test team as well as the mammogram team. I've had one morning with gynecology oncology, seeing women with endometrial cancer, ovarian cancer, cervical cancer, I've had one morning with the pelvic health physical therapists that work with women mostly with urinary incontinence, especially stress urinary incontinence that is very common, especially in older age groups. I've had one morning with the ultrasound team, which it was actually my last day of the rotation, seeing women with their a gestational dating ultrasound to see how many weeks along they are, women getting 20-week ultrasounds to get an anatomy screen to see if they're having a boy or a girl, as well as making sure that the baby is growing properly. Also, ultrasounds to do a biophysical profile, looking at fetal movement, fetal tone, breathing, and amniotic fluid. I've been able to sit on the tumor board, which is a interdisciplinary team of OBGYNs, radiologists, gynecological oncologists, and pathologists that talk about different malignancies, how the interdisciplinary diagnosis is made. And I've been able to sit in on grand rounds that we had someone come in to talk about urinary tract infections specifically. So there was a great variety in learning experiences that I had and basically doing a different thing every day, like I mentioned. Across all of these days, I had the ability to do four circumcisions. I participated and did first assess for six C-sections, and I was able to do 11 vaginal deliveries. 
most of those vaginal deliveries I was actually able to do almost entirely myself. Of course, the OBGYN was right there if I needed help. A lot of the rotations throughout third year, of course, I was doing histories and physical exams, and I was drafting an assessment and a plan to give to the attending to hopefully inform care, but I wasn't doing too much as far as procedures on my own quite as much. So it was interesting during this rotation that I was able to deliver babies and that was very hands-on compared to other opportunities that I've had during third year. So just to speak about a few of my experiences, I have seen several women that had hyperemesis gravidarum, which I talked about in a previous episode about pregnancy complications. I've also seen many women who had PCOS and struggled with fertility. Also talked about this in a previous episode about menstrual disorders, and it really reinforces this idea that yes, you're ovaries and your reproductive system does have a specific specialty called OBGYN, obstetrics and gynecology, that treats that body system, but that does not mean that your reproductive system is completely separate from the rest of your body. Everything is still interconnected, interrelated, and influence each other, so why would it be so hard to believe that your lifestyle, your diet, and your exercise doesn't influence these things, well, that is kind of silly. So PCOS is something that we've seen that a lot of women just have it, and you can't really cure it. You can only treat it, but the most effective treatment for most women is weight loss and lifestyle changes, including diet and exercise, as well as stress reduction, because your adrenals can play a role too. So there is just so much that goes into having a healthy reproductive system, and there isn't really a special diet when it comes to what people with PCOS should follow. It's going to be a healthy diet that looks very similar to a healthy diet that would be recommended for someone reducing their risk of diabetes or reducing the risk of cardiovascular disease. It's all the same healthy diet. It's not going to be based off of a fad at all. So these things that I hear about keto especially and paleo, if it is trendy, it probably isn't the best diet for you. A healthy diet isn't as glamorous. If it's anything, the closest it gets to is the Mediterranean diet. So a healthy diet, you know what this is. It's mostly vegetables and fruit, whole grains, and healthy fats, and plenty of protein, lean protein mostly. So that's what is going to work for the majority of health conditions. Of course, there's a few very specific and usually rare health conditions that you do have to watch things more closely, but for the majority of illnesses that can be exacerbated or even caused by poor diet, the healthy diet that is used to treat it is basically the same, and it's not glamorous, and it's not something that you can go on for a few months and then go back to your old ways. It's something that is a long-term lifestyle change. 
Another thing that was interesting from this rotation is that about half of the women that were on the labor and delivery service were induced, probably more than half, but that's kind of the general trend that I saw. I didn't actually count the numbers, but I would have thought that 90% of women would have natural births and wouldn't need to be induced, but it really wasn't that kind of breakdown at all. From the women that I saw, so I was in labor delivery for eight different days, 12-hour shifts. There was only one woman that I saw that did not have an epidural when she delivered. I was always under the impression that it was a pretty common thing that you would have 50% epidurals, 50% not epidurals, that it was a personal choice, one or the other. But the vast majority of women do get epidurals. I think a lot of women come in thinking that they don't want an epidural and then they ultimately decide to get an epidural because the pain is really that bad. I just wanted to bring this up because I think a lot of the narrative is convincing women not to have epidurals and putting a stigma on getting an epidural as if that's not going to be the right choice for you, it's not the right choice for the baby, you won't be able to feel as much as you should, but there really is nothing wrong with getting an epidural. Most women do get it. I just wanted to kind of decrease the stigma on that. You're not a bad mom if you choose to have an epidural. I also wanted to point out that the one woman who did not have an epidural, first of all, she was absolutely miserable. And based off of her experience and based off of the positive experiences that I saw in the other women who I helped deliver, I personally will choose to have an epidural when the time comes for me to have children, but that is a very personal preference. And when women do come to me in my future practice and they ask me if they should get an epidural or not, I probably will say that they need to research and really decide for themselves what is best for them. I will also say that the woman who did not have an epidural she actually did want to have one. It's just that she went into labor, progressed so quickly that they did not have enough time to give it to her. So I think there might be a problem in that approach too of kind of waiting to have the epidural because that situation could happen to you. It was her third kid, so it's a little bit different if it's your first kid that you might have a little bit more time. But for her, she progressed so quickly with her third kid that she did not have enough time. And it was really sad because... When the baby was born, she was just in so much pain that she almost didn't care that her newborn baby was in front of her. She was absolutely miserable, and it, in my perspective, it seemed like it ruined the experience for her. Whereas all of the other deliveries with epidurals, they were able to be almost pain-free and were able to really connect with baby right away. I also just want to say, working in labor and delivery, I saw a lot of women come in to our triage, which is almost like an emergency room, but just for pregnant patients, and most women were either coming in because they weren't sure if they were having real or fake contractions, and they wanted to get their cervix checked, which is absolutely fine, but I just wanted to say, it really is important to know the difference between false and true contractions. So true contractions will last for 30 seconds or more. 
they become progressively more painful, progressively longer, and they are in regular intervals. Whereas false labor won't be as painful, won't continue to get painful. They will be a lot more irregular as far as when they do start and stop, and they don't get progressively longer either. Especially with the first pregnancy, you don't know what is painful and what is not as painful. So that's really just a guideline, but you're never a bother if you just wanted to, to get checked. So a lot of women coming for that. Also women coming in, not sure if their water broke. That's hard because with your water breaking, it could be this huge gush of fluid or it can just be this steady trickle of fluid over time. I've seen women have both and their water broke in both of those situations. So it's very easy to come in and check for that too. We can look at the fluid under a microscope and see if it has amniotic fluid in it or not. So that's an easy check too. And those are really the reasons why most women came into triage and then based off of if they were in true labor or if their water broke, that will guide the treatment whether they need to stay in the hospital or not. I also had a lot of time spent in the clinic, a lot of prenatal checks, just something to expect during your prenatal check. We always ask if women have any concerns. Mainly the focus is on those concerns if they have them. We always measure the fundal height. Then we always check baby's heart rate as well. In addition to that, we always monitor blood pressure and temperature every visit to see if there's any complications. We always want to treat mom if there's any kind of fever and we especially make notice of blood pressure because that could mean that there's something wrong such as preeclampsia or HELP syndrome or gestational hypertension, things that we need to treat pretty promptly to decrease the risk of complications. And I did talk about some of these topics in a previous episode with pregnancy complications. A thing that was asked a lot by women is decreased fetal movement. Women that say that their baby was really active and then they didn't really feel them as much. If you do have concern about feeling your baby, what is recommended is something called kick counts. That means that for two hours, you usually lay down on your side and you focus on monitoring for activity. You want to count how long it takes to get to 10 movements. If you can count to 10 within two hours, you're done. You can stop counting. You don't have to wait the full two hours if you have 10 movements within a half hour. And that tells you that your baby's fine. And you probably don't need to get medical attention. But if you go the two hours and you don't reach 10 movements, that is usually a sign that you should go to the doctor and get some additional testing done, usually a non-stress test or a biophysical profile so that we can monitor a baby and make sure everything is good. But that's something really easy you can do at home to usually just provide reassurance that everything is fine. Another thing that is important that I learned is to have medical conditions under control before conception because being pregnant 
can lead to exacerbation of medical conditions that can lead to poor outcomes for both you and the baby. So it's really important things, especially like diabetes, to have that under control, to have your HbA1c below your goal. Also, hypertension, to make sure that you are normotensive, that you have a normal range blood pressure on your medications. Talk to your doctor about if the medication you're on can be taken during pregnancy. Most of the time, beta blockers are okay. You want to check based off of whatever one you are taking to make sure, but the ACE inhibitors the ones that end in Pril are not okay. So you need to talk to your doctor about shifting your medications around to accommodate pregnancy and accommodate your medical conditions. Another thing I learned is that preeclampsia, like I talked about in a previous episode about pregnancy complications, is really not as rare as I thought it was. It's actually pretty common. I saw quite a few women with it, both in the office and in labor and delivery. At some points, there were multiple preeclamptic patients on the floor at a time. Gestational diabetes was also way more common than I thought it was. If you do have increased risk of preeclampsia, there are things you can do, like taking aspirin, baby aspirin during pregnancy can help prevent it. You want to talk to your doctor before you start that, and you want to talk to your doctor to see if you're actually at risk for preeclampsia. They can offer that option to you. They'll make sure that they are monitoring you, especially for it. Preeclampsia can cause a lot of issues because I talked about this. Um, It can eventually cause seizures because preeclampsia its name comes from eclampsia which means seizures during pregnancy it usually necessitates an earlier induction and birth so you have additional problems with like for example two of the preeclampsia patients that were on the floor at the same time when i was on labor and delivery they both had to be delivered at 34 weeks so That early of a delivery can have its own complications too. So you want to make sure that you are being monitored throughout your pregnancy to uh, watch out for that. In preeclampsia, the the first sign you'll usually have is increased blood pressure, maybe a headache. It can have other symptoms too. But making sure that you're going to all your prenatal visits will help because preeclampsia can be treated seeing your doctor and going to all your appointments can lead to decreased complications based off of that. Same thing with gestational diabetes too. You want to make sure that you're taking medication if you need to and you're making the lifestyle changes. So it's really important to go to prenatal visits for that. What was cool about this rotation too is that I was able to see a few of the women multiple times. For example, there was a few women that I was able to see in the office for their prenatal appointment, and then I saw them again at uh, labor and delivery. I even helped with their delivery, and then I also got to see the women and the baby post-delivery. Even some of them, I was able to circumcise their baby boy with supervision, of course. So that was interesting to see kind of that longitudinal care even within the span of a month was really interesting because I haven't really had that experience as much with previous rotations. So it was definitely an incredible learning experience for this rotation and it was 
really fun. I don't want to go into OBGYN because I have ruled out all surgical specialties from my list of specialties that I'm interested in, but I really did enjoy working with a patient population of women of all ages as well as pregnant patients and postpartum patients. I hope to pursue a specialty that enables me to have interaction with this patient population. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I'm on Instagram at First Line Podcast. Also on Facebook, facebook.com slash firstlinepodcast. You can reach out for any questions, comments, suggestions, feedback. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again.